So this weekend at ECC was our missions conference. And so we had a session last night and we had a special guest speaking during our Sunday morning services and also in our classrooms. And he talked about faith in the university. It was really interesting. Uh, something that you may not know is that we're considering starting a Christian study center on the campus of IU. This is something Pastor Bob has been scheming up for a while. And uh, I know he's really excited about it, and I think it would be a very meaningful resource for our university. And so I know that some of you weren't at the session last night or this morning, and I didn't want you to miss out on thinking about missions this weekend. And so as you can see on the screen, my sermon title is Thinking Big About Missions. Uh, so why are we doing this? Uh, first of all, I have to tell you, missions is something that I am really excited about, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot personally. Why? because I'm taking a class called World Missions for Seminary. Haha, ha, works out well. And so I've been learning all these things that are getting me really excited and I need somewhere to share them because my wife probably gets sick of me telling her statistics about the global church. And so mission is something that gets me really fired up. Mission gets me fired up. And having a mission in life is what gets us up in the morning. You guys know what I'm talking about. We need to have a purpose and a goal that we're going after. Something that really energizes us. That's something we all need. Um, Any time that we lack a sense of mission in life, things are really dull and um, we can just tend to drift by, can't we? And I have a feeling that you all know how this works. Who among us has not procrastinated on a really boring paper in school when we don't have any sense of mission about what we're doing? Uh, gen ed classes, most likely. I know that I've often had really good intentions about things, but if I don't have that sense of mission driving me, it's easy for me to just float by. And uh, something that I value is physical fitness. And if I don't have a goal, it's really easy for me to just hit that snooze button in the morning, especially this time of year when it's dark until like 8.15 a.m. Isn't that cruel? You can sleep in and it's still dark when you wake up. There's just something about that that seems wrong. Um, so I schedule races for myself to compete in to give myself that sense of mission. It's hard to get up in the morning with my goal for working out as well. I just need to get this over with. But if I think about being on the starting line and wanting to compete and know that I really did the best I could to prepare for it, that sense of mission will get me out of bed because I want to do well. I don't want to look like a fool when I come across <laughs> the finish line. Uh, I've experienced the same dynamic in my spiritual life, and I imagine you have as well. I've often had great intentions to have a daily time in prayer and studying God's Word. Um, here's a shock for you. Even as a minister, it's hard for me to be consistent in that. If I'm just drifting without focus, it's a real challenge. But something that I've found to be really useful is having a mission for my devotional life. And so you may remember our very first Connection of the Year, if you were here, you received a 90-day Bible reading plan. And I have to tell you, this has been really helpful for me to have a mission. I want to complete this 90-day plan by the time we roll around to Christmas break. And so uh, I'm on day 40. I am pleased to report. Who else is still going with that? I'm glad some people. If you're not going with it, it's not too late to get back on the horse. And uh, we'll hand out a new plan next semester. And so there's always a next semester. But the mission of completing that plan has been helpful. I'd have to say the most helpful thing is the accountability of knowing that there's a community of people who are doing this with me. And so having a mission is so vital. And uh, I have to admit, I'm probably a little more task-oriented than the average bear, maybe even a little more task-oriented than is healthy sometimes. But I love having a mission. 
here's something that's really interesting now. While mission gets me really exciting, uh, gets me really excited and it energizes me, something that I have to be honest about as a Christian who has spent his life in the church is that when I add an S onto the word mission, I don't get quite as excited. Missions doesn't get me all that jazzed up when I think about it. It doesn't give me that same sense of excitement. So I want to ask you a question. Ponder this in your mind. What comes to mind for you when you hear the word missions? I won't put you on the spot. But my guess is that when you hear the word missions, what comes to your mind is probably something dealing with cross-cultural ministry or international ministry or some type of outreach activity. And so I want to affirm you first. Those are definitely a part of what missions should be about for the church. But I think missions is about a lot more than just those two things. I'm convinced that our definition of missions in the church, especially the church here in America, has become far too narrow. It's become way too small. The mission of God, and that's really important phrasing. This is first and foremost God's mission. We get to partner in it, but this mission that we get to be a part of is God's first. It's a big mission, and it's one that ought to give us energy and excitement when we think about it. It's one that God draws us to, and when we commit ourselves to faith in Christ, we're invited into this mission. It's a big mission. And so I want to say, if thinking about missions doesn't get you excited, which I've certainly been in that place myself, then I think it's probably likely that you have an atrophied understanding of missions from a biblical perspective. And so my goal for tonight, um, to use the words of Arnold Schwarzenegger, is to get you pumped up <laughs> in your understanding of missions. I want you to understand what missions is from a biblical perspective, because it's something that should really energize us, and it's something that should excite us. And we should say, wow, I can't believe I get to put my life into this. This is something that's so much bigger and more exciting than I ever could have created by my own doing. And so that's my goal for tonight. Let's talk about what missions is. I want to talk about what the call to missions is all about. I want to talk about who the call to missions is really for. And I want to talk about what missions means for the way that we live our lives. And so this talk tonight isn't a part of our Real Identity series that we're doing this fall. But I think it actually fits really well with what we've been talking about. Because our call to participate in God's mission is part of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And so you can go ahead and open up your Bibles right now if you have one to John chapter 20. Or you can just check out the passage of scripture I'm about to put on the screen. So this is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. And so here in this passage, the disciple John tells the story of Jesus appearing to a group of his disciples after his resurrection. And so Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene on the morning before this interaction, and she immediately went out and told the disciples about what had happened. But what we see in this passage is that the disciples really didn't believe Mary. And they would soon see that she was telling the truth. So let's read this story together. Oh, we're already there. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. 
So we see here that Jesus came to his disciples and he showed them proof that he was alive. It was really him. He had the scars to prove it. Mary was telling the truth. And so Jesus let his disciples know that his resurrection had brought them peace. They had peace with Jesus. He wasn't back to punish them for running away in fear when he was arrested and crucified. He came to let them know they had peace with God. God would no longer hold their sin against them because of what Christ had accomplished on the cross. And they had peace for life because their circumstances would never be bigger than the power that raised Christ from the grave. The resurrection power would now come and be part of their own life story. They had hope in the power of God on their behalf because of the resurrection. What God accomplished was something new and monumental that would change human reality forever. But what we see at the end of this passage is a call to mission. Jesus told his disciples that the resurrection would direct the way that they were to view the rest of their lives as his followers. What are the words he says there? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And so as Christ was sent as a minister of reconciliation from the Father, Jesus sent his disciples in the same way. And then with his, um, this is, maybe too sacrilegious, his magical breath, it seems. You know, he says he breathed on them the power of the Holy Spirit. This is power of God coming into these people's lives. What a gift that is. Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit, equipping them for ministry through the power of God. And so they'd be propelled out by the real supernatural power of God at work in them and moving through them. And so... Jesus' disciples are people sent on mission, and so are we as disciples of Jesus Christ today. That's part of who we are. And so as we begin to think about missions, the first thing that I have to emphasize to you is that if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are called to missions. If you're a follower of Christ, you are called to missions. And so what I want you to do right now is get out your phone and text them, text your parents, and tell them that you just realized you're called to missions. Um, and I'm going to get like 20 emails from your parents tomorrow like, what did you tell my kid? If all these parents think their kids are going to run off and be missionaries, that would be crazy. Um, you are called to missions. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this calling is yours. And so what I want to say to you is this truth is powerful stuff. We are all called to missions. Each and every follower of Jesus Christ is sent by God to all the world. We are all included in this. And so... Just like Christ, we are sent to the world with a mission from God. It's from God. We have our authority from God to carry it out, and we have the power of God to help us fulfill his calling. And so we can have confidence as we pursue God's mission because God is backing us up in it. But even more than that, we see in verse 22, loud and clear, we're sent with the power of God's own spirit inside of us to carry out our mission. This is all over the passages of Jesus commissioning his disciples to mission. And another one of those passages of commissioning you may be familiar with, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Luke writes this. He says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, says Christ. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Same thing in Jesus' commissioning of disciples in Luke chapter 24. He lays out their mission for them, and then he says, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Don't try anything until the Spirit comes, because if we don't have the power of God on our side, we're completely out of luck. 
But as the church, we have the power of God living inside of us. And so we need to remember that. We had better pray that God's Spirit will empower us for the mission He's called us to, because it changes everything. Guys, each and every follower of Christ is sent on mission by God, and it's God's Spirit that empowers us to do it. God calls no one to mission who He also doesn't provide what they need to carry that mission out. And so our job is to follow where He leads us in obedience and depend on Him to provide. And one thing that I want to tell you is that we are all called to mission, and we need to keep in mind that the church is diverse. The body of Christ is diverse. And we talked about what that diversity in the body means for us as individuals in the local church earlier this semester. You may remember, we studied Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We talked about how the church is like a human body, where there are all these different parts that have to be fulfilling their role in order for the body to function as a whole. And so what I want to say is that's something we absolutely have to keep in mind. But that is a picture of diversity in the church and our mission together through a microscope. Let's take a look at diversity in the church through a telescope. If the call to mission is for every single believer, that means it's just as much for the poorest Christian in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya, as it is for us here. It's just as much for the persecuted Christian in jail for their faith in East Asia as it is for you here in the United States. God's mission is a mission for the global church. And so I want to share a quick aside with you about this. We often hear about people, um, we hear people talk with great discouragement about the decline of Christianity in our country. And that's merited. As a result of relativism and pluralism and postmodernity influencing our culture, our ideology, and our widespread idolatry of the material, um, among plenty of other reasons, I'm sure, our culture is becoming less and less Christian. There are less and less people living committed lives of Christian faith in our country. We're in a tough spot. But what we have to keep in mind is that we here in the United States are only a small piece of the pie when it comes to looking at the global church. Here's a statistic that might blow your mind. Between the U.S. and Canada, put together, the United States and Canada together, are between 5 and 6% of the world's total population. Um, the U.S. and Canada together, we're only 5% of the world's total population. And I want to share with you a few more statistics that are really interesting to give you more of a perspective on the global church. If you've been here for a while, you know I just love statistics. Since 1910, the world's population has grown from 1.8 billion people to 7.3 billion people. And the number of Christians in the world has risen from 600 million to more than 2.2 billion people. And so that means that in the past 105 years, the rate of growth of Christians in the world is 3% higher than the rate of growth of the Earth's total population. And so the church is actually not declining. We've seen significant progress. We've seen growth throughout the past 105 years. And so we may be going through a really tough time in the West, but the church is absolutely blooming in other parts of the world. Here's another statistic that sheds a little light on how the church can be declining in the West while still thriving worldwide. Look at this, 70% of the world's Bible-believing Christians live in Asia, Africa, or South America. This is a statistic from the Center for World Mission Study at Gordon-Conwell, the place I take seminary classes from. So only 30% of the Bible-believing Christians in the entire world 
live outside of Asia, Africa, South America. So we're talking about North America and Europe here. So while many people here in North America think that we are the global stronghold of the Christian faith, like this is all on our shoulders, the reality is that the majority of our Christian family is non-Western, non-wealthy, and non-white. That's a paradigm shift for me. These are humbling statistics. Interestingly enough, uh, there are churches in other countries that are now sending missionaries to the United States. One of them is actually one of my professors. Uh, I had another guy who ran on my cross-country team from Kenya, and his brother was in the United States doing a PhD, and one of the main reasons he chose to do it here was because he saw the consumerism and materialism that was drawing our country away from God, and he felt called to enter into that and to share the good news with people who are struggling with the issues that our culture is struggling with. There are other countries sending missionaries to our home. Um, we're the global church. We need each other. And so we are all called to missions. We've got to consider the state of the global church. And we need to be humble as we consider how to embrace God's mission. Because we certainly have a role to play. But we are only one part of the body. And statistics show we're kind of a small part. Our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the globe are right there with us in this mission, and they're an important part of the body. We've got to consider what we can learn from them and how we can partner with them in seeking to further God's big mission together. And so, uh, step back into the sermon here. Back on track. The call to mission is for every Christian in the world. And so I want to talk for this last part of the message about what it is that we are sent to do. There are two big picture aspects I really want to focus on tonight that are pervasive in Scripture when it comes to thinking about God's mission. And the first is that followers of Christ are called to be witnesses of what God has done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus by proclaiming the good news and making disciples. And so we'll look at a few more passages of Jesus commissioning his disciples for mission after his resurrection as we do this. And as we move into this, I want to say, we in the church often only think of Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 as the Great Commission. And that certainly is the passage we often refer to as the Great Commission. But in all four Gospels, and even in the book of Acts, there are passages where Jesus commissions his disciples for mission. And so when we look at these together, we get a much bigger picture of what Jesus' mission that he calls his disciples to is all about. And so I want to look at all of these great commissioning passages together, because each of them add another important element to our understanding of what the mission of God is about. So first, let's look at Luke and Acts. Both of these passages highlight the role of Jesus' disciples' witness in their mission from God. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 48. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then Acts chapter 8, talking about that passage you mentioned earlier and the critical role of the Holy Spirit's empowering. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So disciples are called to be witnesses to the world of what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ. And again, we have to say it again, we can never take for granted the power of God's Spirit working in us. So we're called to proclaim the good news, to preach the good news as faithful witnesses. It's right there in Luke 24, 47. We see it again in Jesus' passage of commissioning in Mark. 
Look here at Mark chapter 16. He said to them, his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but who does not believe will be condemned. And so our mission to proclaim the gospel to all of creation. In Christ, God has drawn us near. He's come to earth in Jesus. And God came not to condemn the world in Christ, but to save the world. That's John 3.17. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross that we who believe in him might not perish, but receive new and eternal life. And so we proclaim this good news in conversations with the people who we run into. We proclaim it in monologues. We write books. We draw people to faith in Christ and build them up in their knowledge and experience of what it means to be followers of Christ. And that's what discipleship is about. It's a learning process. Learning about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in every single area of your life. And we see that in the Great Commission in Matthew. Right there, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came to his disciples and he said, All authority in earth all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus' imperative here in this command is to make disciples. That's the imperative here. Jesus didn't just commission his disciples to convert people to Christianity. This is an important distinction that we have to make. Discipleship begins with conversion. Discipleship begins with conversion, but that's only the beginning because discipleship is a process that takes time. It involves a relational investment. It's about followers of Christ sharing life and learning together what it means to be followers of Jesus in every single area of life. And experiencing God together in community. That's what discipleship is about. And so Jesus instructs them to make disciples of all nations. And listen here. The word translated nations here isn't actually talking about geography. It's talking about cultural and ethnic groups. The call to make disciples of all nations can certainly involve different geographical places and far off countries. But if you sense God directing you there, um, I want to tell you, God is certainly calling you to mission in your life. If you sense him calling you to go to a far-off place as a minister of the gospel in a far-off nation, then you have to follow that call. But we need to know that there are nations, there are people groups, there are cultures everywhere, including right here in Bloomington, that need to be reached with the gospel. There are nations in this town that need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And so let's discern God's leading in our lives. But let's be open to following him on mission wherever he calls us to. Sometimes we think the call to mission has to be really glamorous and going somewhere far off. Um, but the call to mission may be a call for you to be a professor. It may be a call to you to be a high school coach. It may be a call to you to go back to a city that you moved from where you found it to be a really harsh place for faith in Christ. We're called to be people who make disciples of Jesus Christ to all people groups, to all cultures where Christ is not known. And so let's view this mission as it really is here in the Great Commission. So the second big picture aspect of God's mission that I want to focus on here tonight is the one to further God's kingdom by forwarding his values. Uh, what is that all about? What it's about 
is it begins right with Jesus' ministry as he's first uh, starting to proclaim the good news. He was going about the region of Galilee, the, the region of Galilee, Galilee, the, the region of Galilee where he was from, <laughs> proclaiming the good news. He was saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's Mark chapter 1. And so the kingdom of God has drawn near in Christ. And we, we do return to Christ and repent from sin and follow him. But the kingdom of God coming to earth is about even more than that. It's about more than just individual repentance and faith. Luke chapter 4, 16 through 20, tells another story from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Christ walked into the temple of his hometown of Nazareth, and he declared his mission. Listen to this story. Christ, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And so what we see here is that in this reading, Jesus was telling people the time had come. The kingdom is breaking through. The messianic promises that the people of Israel had received are about to be fulfilled. These people, they didn't know it, but Jesus was the anointed one from God who had come to bring the kingdom here to earth. And so he tells them, what does it look like in this reading from the book of Isaiah? What does it look like when the kingdom comes here? It's right there in the passage. The good news coming to poor people is what the kingdom looks like. It looks like freedom and justice coming to people who are oppressed, people who are down and out. It looks like forgiveness coming to the most hopeless of sinners and healing coming to people who are sick and disabled. Without hope, the coming of the kingdom of God is about God restoring his creation to the way he intended it to be before our fallen sin. It's about transforming our world to be more of what it will look like when Jesus comes again and reigns in full and renews his creation. And so Jesus instructed his disciples to pray that God would make his kingdom come. Make your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray for that as disciples of Christ, and we partner with God in making his kingdom come by seeking his values. We seek to further his kingdom values here on earth until the day he comes again and the kingdom arrives in fullness. And so Jesus certainly came to bring eternal salvation, but our hope isn't only for the future because God is present and he's active in the here and now. Our call to mission is one for us as followers of Jesus Christ to seek his forward value, to forward his kingdom values in the here and now. And so I want to ask you, how is God calling you to do that? Maybe it's in supporting or volunteering in organizations or ministries that care for the poor or neglected. Maybe it's in a career where you're seeking to better places or systems of education or health or to advocate for fair business practices. Maybe it's in a career where you're seeking justice for the poor or the welfare of the oppressed, those without a voice, people who are forgotten or even thought of as a lost cause. 
That's missions, guys. We're all called to missions. And so, as we wrap it up, remember, if you're following Jesus Christ in faith, this calling is yours. You're called to participate in missions. This is what you were created for, along with your brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. This is a part of who you are. God calls all of us to participate in his mission by being witnesses who proclaim the good news of Jesus, who make disciples and seek to further his kingdom values. And so this is a big call. It's diverse. And it's a holistic call. It's one for each and every one of us to serve God's mission according to the way he's created us, the way he's gifted us, and even the way he's positioned us on the globe and in this town. And keep in mind, you're going to understand God's mission in your life as he continues to direct you. You may not know what God is preparing you for right now, but God is directing your path. Be open to that process. Let God direct you. Don't presume that you know everything about his will, because some of the best things that have happened in my life have been when God has screwed up my plans. And so I want to tell you, be open. Follow the gifts, the passions that God has given you, but surrender your life to him, because his mission is big and it's exciting, um, and he may be calling you on mission to somewhere you have never even thought of. I'll tell you what, when I was a senior in college, I'd never been farther west than Michigan. I'd never been to Indiana in my life. I've never been to Tennessee in my life, and I've spent the past seven years in Tennessee and in Indiana. God has a funny way of directing our paths, and I've got, I've got a feeling some of you are going to end up on mission in some places where if you knew it right now, it would absolutely blow your mind. Um, so let me finish with this. Your college years are the perfect time to think about how God is calling you to mission in your life. I want to leave you with three questions. How do you sense God calling you to serve his mission? How do you sense that God is calling you to serve his mission? Second question is, where, do you send, where is God sending you on mission right now? In this place, where is God sending you on mission right now on IU's campus? And the last question is, where might God be sending you on mission in the future? I want you to dream about that. Where might God be sending you on mission in the future? Think about those questions and pray about them. And know that where God sends you on mission, God's spirit will provide for you on mission. If you want to talk about any of this, I would love to chat. The band can come back up. Uh, they're going to lead us in a concluding song, Send Me Out. Um, and I always love it when they play this song. It's a really fun one for us to think about mission together. And uh, I think these guys have the punk remix schemed up for us tonight. So. No, try to keep the moshing out there to a minimum, guys. <laughs>